Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. gentlemen welcome to another installment of grizzly bear blues live i am your host joe mullinax flying solo this week uh my wonderful co-host parker fleming i'm giving him the day off it's load management for parker he's been very busy uh covering games he was at the playing game against the spurs on wednesday night uh covering great stuff for gbb so we're giving him the day off to rest and reload and recover for what will hopefully be a playoff run, but my guest on this program hopes that I'm wrong and, and it's going to be a fun conversation. Uh, we're definitely going to get through here on this episode of Grizzly Bear Blues Live. Ways to get in touch with the show. You can follow me on Twitter at Joe Mullinax. You can follow Parker on Twitter at Paca underscore Flocka. You can, of course, follow our blog that we are very fortunate to work for, that I am very fortunate to be the site manager of grizzlybearblues.com at SBN Grizzlies. And of course, follow GBB Live at GBB Live. You can also subscribe and rate and review all those different things on the GBB Podcast Network through Spotify, Stitcher, Google, uh, iHeart. I'm not forgetting somebody. Spotify, Stitcher, Google, Apple, duh, and iHeart uh, would be the ones that you definitely want to make sure that you're checking out. Fantastic way to keep up with 3 and D Core 4 starting five. And of course, the flagship here. GBB Live. My guest on this show writes about the Golden State Warriors over for SB Nation. He also talks LA Sparks. He talks San Francisco Giants. But of course, we here on GBB Live are most interested in his Golden State Warriors takes. Uh, Make sure you're following him on Twitter. And I'm going to mispronounce this. I I know I am. I, I apologize, Brady. Brady Klopfer? You nailed it. Yes, I'm so Ten proud points. of myself. That's fantastic. Brady Klopfer, NBA, K-L-O-P, or I messed up the spelling. That's funny. <laughs> Follow him on Twitter at Brady, K-L-O-P-F-E-R-N-B-A. Brady, thank you so much for joining us, buddy. Hope things are well with you. And I know it was a, a tough night for you guys last night, but at the same time, it's uh, it's one that you probably are, recovering nicely today because you're playing a team for the eighth seed on Friday that you guys just pretty soundly beat uh, just five days ago. Yeah. And, and it was an encouraging loss as, as deflating as, as those types of losses can be. I think, um, you know, the closer the loss, the harder the pill to swallow, but the more encouraging it is going forward and, and ultimately basically lost a, a coin flip of a game against the defending champs on the road. Uh, I think when you have that be the most recent game and the second most recent game being, like you said, a a pretty uh, one-sided win against Memphis, I think the team has to at least be feeling pretty confident going, going into Friday's game. Absolutely. And I do think anytime you have the greatest shooter who's ever lived uh, in Steph Curry on your team, you you have some things going well for you going into a do or die game. It helps a lot. Um, Maybe not, as much as it did when you had Kevin Durant and Clay Thompson by him, but it still helps a ton, especially in this play-in scenario where it's a, a one-and-done win-and-you're-in uh, kind of complex. But the, that wasn't the situation last night, at least not for the Warriors. That was the situation for our Grizzlies, and that's where we're going to start, Brady. Um, how much of that game were you able to watch? Obviously, your focus was elsewhere, but the Grizzlies game was the lead-in, so maybe you saw the end of Grizzly Spurs. And I think the thing that I take away from that game the most, Brady, was the way that Memphis started extremely fast, which has not always been the case this year for them. They gave up the lead, as most young teams do, because the Grizzlies are still one of the youngest teams in the NBA. 
But then led by the efforts of Jonas Valanciunas, who we'll talk more about here in a little bit, led by the defensive efforts of Dylan Brooks, who I feel will probably come up in our conversation as well. Um, those two guys in particular, it wasn't necessarily Jaron Jackson Jr. or John Morant. It, it was the vets on, on a young team. Again, I say vets, you know, in air quotes with Dylan Brooks because he's been, I think he's in his fourth year in the NBA. He's 24 years old. Uh, Jonas is the elder statesman at 28, I believe is how old he is now. Tim Frazier plays a little bit. He's, uh, he's older than jo Jonas. But in terms of the guys that play all the time, it's Jonas. Um, and he's 28. So it's a young team. But those two guys in particular are able to keep the ship righted. Um, going back to Sunday's game, from your experience with the Grizzlies there, and then what you were able to see on Wednesday, what impressed you most about this young Grizzlies team? Well, I think most rational people can agree. Golden State has more talent than right now as a team, top to bottom. But at the same time, Memphis is able to compete given their depth and given the contributions of guys that aren't named John Jaron, and that's kind of surprising when you think about the trajectory of this team currently. Yeah, I, I was very impressed with their resolve yesterday. Uh, I think I expected Memphis to win that game just because I think they're a better team than San Antonio. But uh, like you said, giving up the lead, uh, falling behind there at one point and, and against the San Antonio team, you know, I don't think the Spurs are as, as talented as the Grizzlies, but a Greg Popovich team is always going to be disciplined. Uh, they're always going to be smart and they're always going to be tough. And if you, if you have a big lead and, and you give up that lead to a Greg Bobovich team, if you're young, I don't expect you to get that lead back because they're just too disciplined. And so I was really impressed by, by the resolve of, of the Grizzlies young players that they were able to give up that lead and it didn't, it didn't affect them mentally. It seemed they, they buckled in and they went back and, and won the game and, and simply executed better and smarter down the stretch, which is a hard thing to do against a team like San Antonio. Uh, and so looking forward into Friday's game, you know, I see a team that is not going to back down from a more experienced team, not going to back down from, like you said, a more talented team. Um, they are very tough and they, I think know that they can win and that they're not going to get flustered if they're not winning they're not going to get flustered if the shots aren't falling right off the bat. And I think for a team as, as experienced as the Warriors, I think, you know, they, they're used to smelling blood in the water a little bit. Uh, when you're facing a young team and an experienced team, you, you get that maybe the flurry of threes from Steph and, and it just feels like a backbreaker and, and they can smell the blood in the water and know this team is going to fold. We just need to, you know, put our foot on them. And, and I don't think that Memphis is, is that team. I don't think they're the team that's going to fold just because Steph makes a few ridiculous shots in a row or, or Draymond does something or the lead balloons to eight or nine or 10. Uh, and so that was my biggest takeaway from, from both games really, because obviously the comeback that they had on, on Sunday from uh, whatever it was down 17 or whatever uh, to come roaring right back uh, in such an important game for both teams, you know, it's, it's a scrappy, scrappy and tough Memphis team. And, and they're going to bring it for all 48 minutes. And that's been an issue for the Warriors at times this year. You know, they, they haven't played well a lot of times in, in the minutes when Steph Curry sits. And um, they haven't always brought effort in the first and third quarters. And Memphis, I think, I think they've made it very clear the last two games that they are going to bring everything they have for 48 minutes. And maybe it won't be enough, uh, but they're not going to back down no matter what the circumstances. And that's a... That's an impressive thing to see from, from a team that young uh, to really not ever look like they're in over their heads. You know, they, they always look like they belong. And I think that's a huge reason why they have gotten to the point where they've gotten so much earlier than most people, you know, predicted. I think the way that Memphis performed last year was the way I expected them to perform next year. And the way they performed this year is the way I expected them to perform in 2023. Uh, they've accelerated their timeline uh, credit to the coaching staff and just credit to the young players who, you know, from, from the highlights of John Morant to the less heralded players like a Dylan Brooks or, or whatnot, they, they don't play their age. They really don't, you know, they, they have all the unlocked potential of players their age, but they also have the resolve and uh, 
intelligence and IQ and, and discipline of, of more veteran players. And it's, it's been a fun team to watch for me. The Grizzlies definitely have a type. And I think that that's the biggest credit that I can give to this front office and this organization, to be honest with you, it's the, uh, the 20th year of the Grizzlies being in Memphis. So a lot of the anniversary stuff has come out. And, um, the, the fact that we're looking at a team, because obviously you're familiar with the previous era of this team, grit and grind with Mark and Zach and, and Tony and, and Mike Conley. And, you know, the Grizzlies have had battles with the Warriors in the playoffs in the past with that iteration of the team. And I think that, well, it's obviously different. They're much younger, much more athletic. Their playing style is completely different. They try to push the pace. Uh, there's times where they try to launch threes. Maybe they don't make them, but they try to launch them. Um, the most fascinating thing for me is that they still have that mentality. Like, it's still that toughness. They're still embodying the city. Uh, young Dolph, which is awesome, just to say out loud, did the hype video for the play-in tournament. And he talked about how Memphis is the hardest city in the NBA. And I was like, I, I wish I had thought it sounds simple, but to me, it's true. Like in terms of what the city goes through, the, the mentality of the city, um, the underdog aspect of it, it, it is truly a blue collar town in every sense of the word. And, and even in this new modern version of it that matches the current play of the NBA better than the grit and grind Grizzlies ever did they still have that mentality. And I think that makes it really fun to watch that they're almost merging the two concepts together. And that was definitely evident on Sunday. And it was evident on Wednesday as well, when they were able to fight off that Spurs comeback. I always thought the Spurs would have some energy about them, especially those veterans, Patty Mills, Rudy Gay. It, it concerned me uh, that the game would, if it got close that the vets would step up and finish it because they've been there before. Uh, but the Grizzlies, it was valuable experience for them. And it's, it's really cool to see them kind of take that step and progress. And then you, you take that team, the Spurs are young, their best players are young. So it's important to understand that the Spurs have an under unheralded, in my opinion, rookie core or young core. And then you progress to two teams that expect to be in the championship contention window or in the least in the case of the Warriors in the playoffs, second round, see what happens a window. The war, the Lakers certainly expect to be in the championship window and they find themselves in the play-in. And as you alluded to earlier, they were a, a Steph three away. And uh, a, I don't want to say lucky because it's LeBron James. He's done it before, but an impressive LeBron James shot. Uh, we can put it at that, you know, a couple plays happen differently and we're having a different conversation. And I'm talking to Harrison, uh, from silver screen and roll instead of you. So I'm curious from watching that game, I'll be honest with you on the East coast. I watched the first half and then I went to bed. Um, you from watching, half then. Uh, they, uh, that, I, I would agree. I was, I was like, Oh wow, this, you know, I messaged Parker cause he was the uh, person helping me out set, like scheduling whoever we were messaging for this podcast. And I said, listen, um, you might need to prioritize Harrison. Like you want to reach out to him right away. Um, but it, it worked out the exact opposite. The Lakers were able to fight back. And uh, obviously Golden State is still playing really well. I think that's important to point out. Um, Steph was extremely efficient, which I would argue he wasn't as efficient against the Grizzlies on Sunday. And we'll talk more about that in the next segment. But he was very efficient in his 37 points against the Warriors. But the Lakers were able to pull off the victory. So aside from having LeBron James and Anthony Davis, which obviously plays a massive role, uh, what were the Lakers able to do on Wednesday to pretty much quiet everybody else that the Grizzlies were not able to do on Sunday? Is it as simple as the Lakers roster is better? Was there something coaching wise that maybe Memphis can watch and say, oh, we could give that a shot again. When you have two of the best five players on the planet, that's going to help you. The Grizzlies are not in that boat, but at the same time, there's no denying that the Warriors around Steph were not as impactful on Wednesday as they were on Sunday. Why would you say that is? You know, I think a, a huge part of it was LA's aggression on defense. Um, you know, the first half, the Warriors were picking them apart a little bit. Um, the Lakers were, were sending two, sometimes three players at Steph, and he uses Draymond Green as that outlet. And, you know, they've been doing this really ever since Steve Kerr took over, where Draymond Green will set a high screen for Steph Curry, the defense will trap Curry and Curry will use Draymond Green as an outlet. And then the Warriors are playing four on three. And in the past, it's had 
exceptional results because they've had Clay Thompson and, and Kevin Durant spacing the floor and, and, you know, four on three with those two in the corners and Draymond passing the ball is, is automatic money. And they've struggled with that more this year, obviously with, with the lesser role players. And, you know, I think in the second half, what the Lakers did was they were really aggressive defensively and they were active. They had their arms out and they were shutting down a lot of passing lanes and the Warriors were trying to do the same things, but the passing lanes kept getting smaller and smaller. And a lot of those passes that led to easy buckets in the first half started to turn into turnovers. And as they turned into turnovers, the Warriors started to kind of second guess how much that worked. And suddenly the cutters weren't cutting as much. Uh, the spacing wasn't as good. And the offense just became a little bit stagnant. So, you know, part of it is is the just the ability of, of the Lakers. There's a reason that they've been one of the best defenses in the league all year long. And, and when Anthony Davis and LeBron James are healthy, I think you could make the, a strong case that they are the best defense in the league. Um, but I think there is still a blueprint there for Memphis, you know, because obviously the Grizzlies have a lot of talented defenders. They have a lot of intelligent defenders uh, and they have a lot of uh, highly athletic players. And I think they just need to be aggressive you know, obviously you don't want to go over the top fouling, but even if you do foul a little bit, you know, you live with that sometimes. If what you're doing is you're putting pressure on the Warriors and taking away those passing lanes and forcing Steph Curry to be moving backwards when he makes the pass to Draymond Green and forcing Draymond Green to get that pass 25 from the feet from the hoop instead of 20 feet from the hoop, pack the paint a little bit so that if Andrew Wiggins or or Kent Bazemore is cutting to the hoop, there's not an easy backdoor cut there. Uh, those, those are the ways you shut down those players because they're still not fully comfortable in the Warriors system. And so if, if they're not getting those first reads pretty easily, they're not entirely sure what to do with their second reads. And they tend to just drift back out to the perimeter and watch Steph Curry get triple teamed and, and hoist up a shot with six arms around him, which can be a good shot sometimes, uh, but it's not as good as as taking advantage of a four on three or a four on two and, and getting a backdoor cut for an easy dunk. Uh, so aggression, aggression, and, and just disruption, try to try to get some arms in the paint, keep those easy buckets at bay. You make a great point about the, the dribble around and shoot. Cause that was the end of the first half. That was the shot that made me go to bed was I, I literally remember getting angry watching Draymond green. And we'll talk more about here in a moment, literally just stand there. Like, I don't even think he set a screen. He, he just physically existed. I could have done what Draymond did. And Steph dribbled around him, and there were three people near him, like closer to Steph by, by, by the time he shot it than Draymond was. And Steph launches it and obviously goes in, and, and Golden State has a double-digit lead going into the half. Uh, I think that, that in some ways that hinders what the Warriors are going to be able to do this year if you put them in that position. And I think that was the goal of the Warriors. I wrote in my game preview last week, that Steph, you know, you had to try to limit Steph, but you also had to keep the other guys at bay. It looks like the Lakers were content with trying to limit Steph, like you said, throwing two or three guys at him. But they also rotated hard enough and played well defensively enough that they were able to, using their length, and I think the Lakers are longer than the Grizzlies, so that's something that Memphis probably won't be able to do. Uh, using their length and size, the Lakers were able to close out hard enough to still impact shots on those cutters and those closers, like you mentioned earlier, the windows closing. Um, that's not something that the Grizzlies are going to be able to do necessarily. But at the same time, I think that what Memphis can do, and we'll talk more about the, the actual game Sunday, or not Sunday, Friday, in the, uh, in the second segment. But I think that one of the keys for Memphis is going to be trying to recreate that as much as possible because Steph is going to score 30-plus points. That, that's going to happen. You're not going to stop him like Dylan Brooks stopped DeMar DeRozan last, uh, on Wednesday night. You're just not going to stop him. Steph is better than DeMar DeRozan, obviously. But I do think you can give credit to Dylan Brooks, and I know you guys have done this. Steph was four for 14 when Dylan was the primary defender, but credit to Steph, Dylan also fouled out. So if you can get Dylan Brooks out of the game, you know, he might have a better impact on Dylan, on Steph than others, but Steph can get him to create contact that he doesn't want to create. And, you know, th there's going to be definitely be a, a battle there, I think between those guys on Friday. Uh, it's fascinating to see it unfold. Like I said, I watched in the first half, and you, as you mentioned, uh, it was a tale of two halves. I'm sure the Warriors wish the game would have ended after that second quarter. I'm, I'm talking with Brady Klopfer, okay? He does a fantastic job 
covering the Warriors for SB Nation. Follow him on Twitter if you don't already do so, at Brady Klopp for NBA. We're previewing the play-in game uh, for all the marbles now. This is the true reenactment of what the Grizzlies were in 2020 in the bubble. They played Portland. This was for the eighth seed. The play-in tournament is completed in the West, except for this one game. It's either going to be Golden State or Memphis advancing to take on the Utah Jazz. And the Utah Jazz had a remarkable regular season, but I think it's fair to say that both Golden State and Memphis are glad that it's Utah and not one of the Lakers or the Clippers. Um, this Maybe we're wrong for feeling this way in Memphis, but this feels more winnable uh, than it would have if we were facing LeBron in the first round or Kawhi and Paul George in the first round. Um, we'll end this segment on this, Brady. I'm curious as to your take. Jonas Valanciunas has been a monster lately. Uh, you can make a, very, a pretty simple argument that Jonas is the MVP of the Grizzlies this season. And that's unique because, you know, he's a traditional center. You know, he's seven foot tall. He doesn't have a reliable three-point shot. He, but he's really good at dominating the glass as a rebounder, really good at perimeter – or not perimeter scoring, post scoring and, point, and scoring around the paint. And he is a very good drop defender. Like he does really well defending the rim and against the Spurs. And I tweeted this last night. I thought it was Jonas's best two-way game I've ever seen him play because there were times that he got caught on switches and he moved well laterally. That has always been my concern with Jonas Valanciunas is he can't be malleable defensively. He's very predictable. You know what he's going to do. But last night, the Spurs, probably because of Popovich and a lot of circumstances, were able to get Jonas caught on those switches and Jonas was able to move and keep those guys and defend those shots. So to me, it was Jonas's best game he's ever played, at least that I've seen. Um, he's, he's at a higher level right now. I think he had 26 points and 19 rebounds against golden state or 18 rebounds, something like that on Sunday's regular season finale. But then Draymond green comes out the center for the golden state warriors and talks a lot of trash about how they keep trying to throw centers at him. And that I'll use his, I believe he said shit. Uh, I'll, I'll quote him on that. That shit hasn't worked yet. Um, and that confused people in Memphis, Brady. I'll be honest with you because we looked at the box score and how Memphis was in trouble when Jonas wasn't on the floor. And then we heard those words. And is this just Draymond being Draymond and using his very powerful voice to you know, talk a little trash? Is this... Memphis fans not fully understanding the emptiness of stats because that that's been part of my argument in the past against Jonas that he, you know, he gets a lot of put back rebounds and, you know, they, it masks a lot of his deficiencies. I don't think you can say that right now. Like, I think that's a losing argument at this stage of Jonas's playing this season. He's playing extremely well. So, I think that Draymond was right to be excited that the team won. Obviously, Golden State was better on Sunday. But at the same time, I'm not so sure that Draymond was better than Jonas Valanciunas. And that trash talk kind of confused me, at least. And it confused Memphis, for sure. Did it confuse you, or do you see where he's coming from? A little bit of both, to be honest. Um, I mean, nothing really confuses me with Draymond just because I'm, I'm used to him saying things um whether whether they make sense or not he's he's always going to throw something out there and it's always going to be a quote um so i wasn't surprised i'll, I'll put it that way um it was funny timing because i mean valentina said what he shot 12 for 15 from the field i think um you know it's, it, it might have been the best performance a center has had against the warriors all season um so the timing was definitely funny um but i think there was something to to what Draymond was trying to get at it. Part of it, I think, is just, you know, the mental games. Uh, I think he, Draymond is is pretty quick when a player performs well against the Warriors to kind of shut it down a little bit and suggest that, you know, the Warriors aren't that affected by it. He, he kind of reminds me of, you know, um, a boxer or an MMA fighter who gets punched in the face and and smiles at, at the guy who punched him. It's, it's kind of a, yeah, we took your best shot and we won. So it's obviously not good enough. Um, so I think there is that element of it, but I think, you know, the thing that he maybe was trying to get at is the Warriors do do well against teams that try to play traditional centers against them. Um, they, they've done well all season. They've, it gives them the opportunity to get out in transition. Uh, it gives them the opportunity to push the ball and hunt mismatches. Uh, and even though I, I agree with you that Valanciunas has been 
a, a, a vastly improved defender when switched onto the perimeter. Um, sometimes it's even the other guys. Sometimes it's just you push the ball and you end up with maybe a power forward or even a small forward defending Steph Curry, and you've got just a mismatch that you can exploit a little bit, and the Warriors do well in those scenarios. And sometimes the centers get really good numbers against the Warriors because the Warriors are so small. Um, but a lot of times the the overall impact and the overall outcome of the game still ends up favoring the Warriors in those in those moments. So I think there is, you know, there's two sides to the coin with a quote like that from Draymond. The one side is that Valanciunas said a ridiculously efficient 29 points and 16 rebounds. Uh, the other side is that his plus minus was negative 13 in a game the Grizzlies lost by 12. Um, and now, you know, single game plus minus for one player is a pretty iffy stat here to be going off of here. Um, but I, I think there is a little bit something to that, that, you know, sometimes sometimes centers feast on the Warriors and the team doesn't actually perform well in those minutes. I don't think that was really the case with Memphis. I, don't, I think Valanciunas was their best player and their um, the main reason why the game was as close as it was on Sunday. Um, but I do think that on the whole, Draymond is happy when teams play, you know, quote unquote, traditional centers against the Warriors, because that is their best area to exploit something, even if the stats don't always agree with him. I think that's fair. You know, there's no denying there were times where Jonas was unplayable the way things were going in that game. They were able to run him off the floor, literally. Um, and I do think that you're onto something. It's very easy because, and I, I'm guilty of this sometimes. You see Jonas struggling and you know, because he's so big, it's an easy connection to make. He's, he's not moving well laterally because he's a, you know, a, a, a literal grizzly bear. Uh, he, he's a massive human being. Um, but again, he's moved better. And I do think that's important to point out that he has done better, but it's still not the same as what Golden State trots out there. I think it's important to point out that it's not just Jonas's fault when that kind of stuff happens. People don't talk about it all that often. We talk about it a lot at GBB, but it's not been a great year defensively for John Moran. Statistically, he's one of the worst defenders in the NBA, worse than Jonas Valanciunas, excuse me, Jonas Valanciunas. So if Ja is struggling defensively, and Jonas has limitations. Statistically, he's not struggling as much, but you know he has physical limitations laterally, and you're attacking Jonas and Jaw in the pick and roll, chances are space is going to be created somewhere, one way or another. Um, so I do believe that that is something to keep in mind watching the game coming up on Friday is how the Grizzlies respond to when Golden State tries to negate the strengths of Valanciunas. They have to be able to better weather that storm because Valanciunas is too important to what the Grizzlies do. You could argue you play Tillman more, Xavier Tillman, you play Jaron Jackson Jr. at the five more, and you have Kyle at the four, and that allows you to use your wing depth more. Grayson Allen is back. Uh, he looked terrible against the Spurs, but he hadn't played in three weeks. That's probably some rust. Um, I, I think there's an argument there, but at the same time, like I said, very easy argument that Jonas is their best player right now. It's probably not a good idea, even depending on matchup to bench your best player in a winner go home scenario. So I think it's a better idea game planning today. If I were coach Jenkins, which I'm not, thankfully, um, how do I negate that issue? You know, how do I allow for Jonas to make Draymond green look dumb in more than one way? Cause right now you're making him look dumb by just pointing at your box score. But as you alluded to, and Draymond green has made it very clear over his career, what Draymond cares most about is the win. And that's what golden state got. And I do think that's important to keep in mind as we talk about these numbers. When we come back from break, we're going to talk about the Grizzly Bear Blues Live question of the day. We're going to make sure that we get into, obviously, a more in-depth preview of the game between Golden State and Memphis. For all the marbles, all the play-in bananas going into the eighth seed, it's Warriors, it's Grizzlies. We'll talk about that next. You're listening to GBB Live. Don't go anywhere. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. 
And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to Grizzly Bear Blues Live. I am your host, Joe Mullinax, riding solo today, giving Parker Fleming, uh, our associate editor at GBB, the day off for load management um, heading into the play-in and hopefully playoffs. But as I mentioned in the first segment, my guest, uh, Brady Klopfer, is very hopeful that that does not happen. Uh, he covers the Warriors for SB Nation. Make sure you're following him on Twitter, at Brady Klopfer, NBA. Uh, Brady, we'll preview the game in a moment. But first, I want to ask you, because you're an outside perspective, and I'm a big fan of getting outside perspectives, because Memphis, more than any other place, can very much be its own bubble. And I think that's natural because of how small the market is. And it's natural because a lot of national people don't really pay attention to the Grizzlies. And we can all be honest about that. You just, you can watch the coverage of the game yesterday and it was Steph, LeBron, Lakers, Warriors, Grizzlies are playing now. You know what I mean? And I'm, they're trying to make money. I'm not trying to dispute. I get it. It's a business. Um, but there's a, there's a caveat to that. The NBA is showing a glaring hole when they don't understand or don't know, you know, certain players on the team. So anyway, I digress. Point being, you are an outside perspective. You've watched enough of the Grizzlies that I know that you can answer this question intelligently. I asked our fans, how much will the result of tomorrow's game matter to you, regardless or regarding, excuse me, whether or not the Memphis Grizzlies season as a whole was a success? I asked for possible votes. Uh, it'll matter a lot to them. It'll matter some to them. It doesn't matter a lot or it will change nothing. Uh, the leading vote getter was it matters some in terms of defining this season a success. 41.5% of the voters said that it matters some to them. But you said in the first segment, and, and I agree with you, I'm kind of leaning this way myself, this rebuild has been accelerated. Like we have to keep in mind, this is a rebuilding roster. Grayson Allen started over half the games for this team this year. Two years ago, people were saying Grayson Allen isn't an NBA player. So we're in a world where even if Grayson has improved, which obviously he has, and even if you acknowledge the growth of a lot of these guys, their best player, or at least their most impactful player, John Morant, is a 21-year-old point guard. And usually those guys aren't your best players. Usually they're struggling. There's a lot of reasons why Memphis being where they are as a winning team now, like they're not a bad basketball team. They are good by record definition. To me, this game doesn't matter at all. Will I be disappointed? Yes. I will be disappointed if they lose because I like covering the team. I don't want to get into the you know player grades and all that stuff. I'm not ready for that yet. I like watching basketball, and I hope that continues. But for me, they've already won the battle. My goal for them was the 10 seed. They're not that. They're the 9 seed. That's locked in. They've shown growth from last year. They have a better idea of who's going to be on the team long-term. Like Dylan Brooks is a great example of that. Uh, Nate Chester wrote a great article today talking about how Dylan Brooks is irreplaceable. And I agree. Like, I think Dylan Brooks, he's not untouchable, obviously, but you're not going to replace what Dylan Brooks brings you. You can make a very simple argument, in my opinion, similar to Jonas in the last segment, that if Dylan Brooks doesn't fall out, foul out of that Grizzlies game, uh, Grizzlies Warriors game, we're having a different conversation. I think the Grizzlies would have won that game. Now, would it have been close? Could Steph have hit a game-winning three? Absolutely. All those things certainly could have happened. But it's not a blowout by any stretch of the imagination if Dylan Brooks is still in that game. So I believe that you don't know that this time nine months ago. Dylan Brooks was somebody that people complained about the contract he signed. Now he looks like a semi-bargain or at the very least good value. So I think that this season's already a win. Everything from here is icing on the cake. you got to play in victory. You are competing against Steph Curry, one of the very best players on the planet. Steph is, or excuse me, Jaw is not that yet. Jaron Jackson Jr. is not that yet. Your best player right now is probably Jonas Valanciunas. And Jonas Valanciunas is your best player. Probably shouldn't beat Steph Curry as their best player on most nights. To me, this season is a complete success. And while I want them to win, and I think they can, it will not change how I perceive this season if they lose. Do you agree with that assessment as somebody who isn't a Grizzlies fan evaluating the Grizzlies season from the outside? 
Yeah, for the most part, I strongly agree with that. Um, I think there's, you know, if I were to, you know, kind of be uh, annoying here, I would slide oh, no, sure. an answer. <laughs> that's the whole point, right? Yeah, um, it is a podcast. <laughs> I would, yeah, that, that's what we do. Um, I would, I would slide in my answer in between doesn't matter a lot and will change nothing. Um, because I'm reminded of the first round in 2019, uh, the Warriors were the, the number one seed and they were playing the Clippers in the first round, the number eight seed. And I was, I was at those games and, and someone asked Doc Rivers when, when it was three to two Warriors, I think they asked Doc Rivers about if it's, if it's comforting to be playing with house money because the Clippers were the eighth seed, there's not much on at stake. There's low expectations. You know, is it nice knowing that it doesn't matter as much if you lose? And, and Doc Rivers just looked at them and said, it matters just as much if we lose as it matters to the Warriors. We're trying to win. We want to win a championship. We want to win this series. And even if the outside expectations are lower, losing matters just as much to us as it does to the Warriors. And so I think, you know, I think this, the Grizzlies season isn't, should be viewed as an overwhelming success, regardless of what happens against the Warriors. They could lose 120 to 30. I think the season is an overwhelming success for Memphis. They've, they've done wonderful things. They're two to three years ahead of where I expected them to be. That said, it becomes an even bigger success if you beat a team with a championship core an MVP caliber star, and then potentially go on and win maybe two games against the Jazz, put a little bit of a scare in them. Um, I think that becomes an even bigger success. So at this point, you know, they are almost playing with house money because it's already a full success, but I think it can be a bigger success. Um, There should be no, you know, obviously there's disappointment for fans and players anytime you lose. There should be no disappointment in the sense of, uh, we we fell short. We didn't do enough if they if they lose on Friday. Um, but there's always something to play for. So there's always an ability for the season to be more successful than it is unless you're the last team standing. Um, so, yeah, that, that's kind of a, a semantic <laughs> uh, tirade there. But um, I think it's yeah, important think to it's have success. It, it's important to have those layers. Right. It's important yeah. to say you sat down at the beginning of the season. You said, OK, what's your expectation? My expectation was the 10 seed. They're going to be the nine seed. Yay, they're better than I expected. But at the same time, like you said, once you get into the game, especially if you're a player or a coach, if you are an athlete, if you are somebody who spends your life preparing for these events, you're going to be disappointed. And you don't just do it saying, oh, yay, I'm happy to be here. No, you want to freaking win. And especially once you reach the highest levels of professional sport, you want to win. Like Chances are you've won a lot if you're a professional athlete, a professional coach, being in the NBA or any pro sport. And you want to be a part of that. That drive is what helped get you there. Um, there's plenty of talented folks that are doing other jobs that didn't have that drive to take a drive to maximize that talent. And part of that is being uber competitive. So of course they want to win. And of course they'll be disappointed if they lose that individual game. But like you said, you take a step back after a loss and you evaluate the whole journey. And Memphis is, I would argue, one very good to great wing away from being in the top five in the Western Conference. That's my opinion. Uh, I think that that type of player would maximize this current group that much more. Now, are they going to be able to get that guy? That's a different conversation for a different podcast. But I think they're one dude away from being really freaking good. And that makes it something that as they continue to develop, you're allowed to kind of see the bigger, longer view and be excited about it and appreciate the experience that they're getting now because it's going to matter a lot more when the expectation is a championship, which will eventually be the expectation, maybe not next year, but in the years to come. We're finishing up here with Brady Klopfer at Brady Klopfer NBA. Make sure you're following him on Twitter, heading into the big play-in game, Grizzlies Warriors. The eighth seed is on the line. And, and Brady, like I said, we'll get you out of here on this preview kind of question. The Grizzlies really hung tough with the Warriors in every quarter except for one. Uh, Golden State blew them out in the third quarter. That was a double-digit quarter. Golden State won the second and third. Memphis only lost by one in the first. 
and then the fourth quarter, they won the fourth, uh, kind of pushing back into the game. But Golden State was able to maintain that lead. The third quarter was the major difference. And the fact that they were able to get contributions from Andrew Wiggins, they were able to get contributions from Draymond almost at a triple-double. The fact that they play such a condensed bench, which I think the Grizzlies fans would like for Taylor Jenkins to do a little bit more. Uh, Part of the reason that game was a struggle is Taylor continued to play 10 people, and that opens up the data accumulation conversation, which I I will not – I'll spare your Twitter mentions that question. Um, So there's no denying that they've approached the season differently than most Grizzlies fans would have wanted them to. But it's, it's winning time now. It's time to get into the playoffs. Data accumulation shouldn't be a focus anymore. You had 73 games before this one to accumulate some data. Uh, hopefully they condense the rotation. The Golden State Warriors are playing extremely well right now, and I do think that that should be pointed out. But what going into this game, a game that Golden State will be favored in as well they should, what makes you most nervous about what the Grizzlies can do that could lead to Memphis pulling the upset against the Warriors? I think, you know, the Warriors have had two major def- major faults this year. Um, the first is turnovers, and the, first, and the second is fouling. And I think that the Grizzlies are a team that can exploit that. I think the aggressiveness on offense, you know, between John Morant driving as talented as he is at getting to the rim – and Jonas Valanciunas being such a talented post scorer, there is the potential for the Warriors to just start hacking and fouling. Uh, some of your key guys get in foul trouble. You get in the bonus three or four minutes into the quarter. That was one of the things that did them in against the Lakers in the third quarters. The Warriors got in the bonus, I think, three minutes into the third quarter, and the Lakers hadn't even committed a foul yet. Uh, and that just changes everything. Um, and I think Memphis has that ability they they can be very aggressive on offense and they can they can take advantage of some of the warriors weaknesses on that end of the court and force them into those um lack of discipline defensive plays and then it's the same thing on the other side the the warriors have turned the ball over like wild that was the other thing that did them in against the lakers was they got sloppy with the basketball in the second half they they turned it over and the grizzlies you know as you mentioned you know, at the start of the podcast, uh, they do still have a lot of that grit and grind uh, mentality. Uh, sometimes I watch them and I expect to see Tony Allen out there and I get kind of surprised when he's not out there. I'm like, wait, where's Tony Allen? Is he not playing in this game? Dylan Brooks kind of is the evolution of Tony Allen. Absolutely. Uh, he's, yeah. he's the modern Tony Allen. The spirit animal. Reincarnated. I love it. It's perfect. And, and um, you know, I, you've mentioned it and, and now I'll mention it, that, that Dylan Brooks is, you know, he's, he's a huge X factor in this game because he, he can be that scrappy defender who forces and disrupts a deep, an offense a little bit and forces them into turning the ball over. And that has been the Warriors Warriors Achilles heel on offense, despite having Steph Curry having a ridiculous season, they still have had a markedly below average offensive season. And a lot of that is, is because they've gotten sloppy. They've turned the ball over. Even Curry's been turning the ball over a lot this year. Um, so that, to me, it's, you know, not, not to make a Grizzlies question about the Warriors, but the Warriors' weaknesses are something that match up with where the Grizzlies can exploit things, in my opinion. Um, and I think Memphis should be looking at those two things, at the Warriors turning the ball over and the Warriors committing fouls and attacking that saying this is this is our avenue to win this is where we can create not only a competitive advantage but really just disrupt the game because you know there are few things that throw a team off like getting in foul trouble and turning the ball over any rhythm you have on either end of the court just goes out the window immediately once you start racking up the fouls and you're worried about fouling and getting in the bonus or you're worried about fouling out and you start second guessing all of your passes because you don't want to have the fifth straight turnover that's going to get you sat on the bench and yelled at by your coach. It just disrupts things. It makes you think about the game instead of playing intuitively. And um, those are things that historically Memphis has been able to exploit. And um, it's, it's an area where I think they can exploit the Warriors on Friday. I think they can be aggressive and force the Warriors to be undisciplined. 
and and use their scrappiness and their grit. And I don't I don't mean those as negative terms. I don't sure. mean to say they're not talented. They need to rely on their grit. Um, they're extremely talented, uh, but those gritty things are what can throw the Warriors off a little bit. And and that's I think Memphis's cleanest path towards making this a, a tough game for the Warriors. Memphis is unrefined. I think that's, that's a great a term, way to correct. that's a great way to interpret what you just said is Steph Curry is fully realized, right? Like Steph Curry is Thanos with the infinity storms. That is, that is Steph Curry. He's got it. Uh, the Grizzlies are the first Avengers movie. They're not there yet. They're, they're fully progressing, hopefully toward that moment where they can defeat Thanos, but they're not there yet. We have a lot of stories to tell first in, in the Grizzlies cinematic universe. And I believe that that's kind of how I'm understanding this group now is through that lens. You look at LeBron, he's Thanos. You look at Steph, he's Thanos. There, there are guys at the top of the West that Memphis won in 14 million times will be. But at the same time, that still gives them a shot and they have an opportunity. And I think that you're exactly right about turnovers. They want to get out and run. That's always been their MO. Their half-court offense is very dependent on the pick and roll. It's very dependent on Jonas Valanciunas. It's predictable. Like I said earlier, there's predictability in what they do. They've tried to vary it. They've done a little bit of backcourt, backdoor cut stuff. They've done a little bit of Desmond Bain off of screens, which I wish they would do more of because Desmond Bain is awesome. Um, but their, their offense is fairly predictable. So they need those transition opportunities because Draymond Green is as, as big of a student of the game as there is in the NBA. He's going to have every play essentially called out. They have to find ways to get opportunity and momentum through those turnovers and force Steph and Draymond and others, their high usage players, to make mistakes. I think that's their best route to winning. I think Dylan Brooks is one of the best in the NBA right now at getting in his opponent's heads. Uh, Damian Lillard a couple weeks ago is a great example of that. And I think that that is something that Dylan can do to Steph. Now, that doesn't mean that Steph won't still drill a three in his eye. That's certainly probable. Um, but at the same time, Dylan embraces that role. You know, he buys into it. He believes it. And I think that really ties into what you were saying about the grit of this Grizzlies team. They believe in each other. They love what they've built together. They talk about how much they care about each other all the time. Not to say the Golden State doesn't. But when there's a gap in talent, because there is a gap in talent right now, at least refined talent, when there's a gap in that, you have to make it up somewhere. And I think in terms of effort and attitude and the way that Memphis can play the game, they showed it at times against Golden State, just not enough. I think that Memphis can knock off the Warriors, but it's going to be a challenge. Uh, we'll get you out of here on this, Brady. I believe the line right now is five and a half point favorite for Golden State. I could be wrong on that. I haven't checked it in the last hour. I know it moves. The Warriors are favorites as well. They should be. Um, do you think Memphis covers whatever that spread might be? Do you think that this is going to be another Warriors blowout? How do you see Friday night playing out? I think it's going to be somewhere in between those two outcomes. Uh, I, I don't think Memphis covers, but I don't think it's necessarily going to be a blowout. Um, I think it'll be a game that the Warriors win, not a blowout, but semi-comfortably, a game that I think – you know, they lead pretty much the whole time, but Memphis is never out of it. You know, I don't think this is going to be a game where we see the towel thrown in with at the start of the fourth quarter or even with five or six minutes in the fourth quarter. Uh, so I see it as being a game that the Warriors kind of just hang out in that six to 10 point lead range. Uh, Maybe the lead, maybe the final score isn't quite indicative of how close it was because of fouls in the final final minute or something like that. Uh, so I do think the Warriors win by more than that, uh, but I don't think it's going to be a blowout. It's my own show, so I'm going to do this, but I'm going to cop out. I'm not going to give a prediction of, of an actual score covering the spread. What I'm going to do is I'm going to predict that there's going to be a time in the fourth quarter where it's close, and there's going to be a time in the fourth quarter where they're down. Memphis is you know, up by one or Memphis is down by three, something in that window and John Morant's going to have the ball in his hands and somebody's going to be in front of him, Steph or Wiggins, and he's going to have to make a play, whether it's for himself or a cutter, like a, a you know, a Kyle Anderson or a Bain in the corner, he's going to have to make a play. The Grizzlies are going to be put in situations where we see just how much they've grown. And I think that that is going to be my biggest thing that I'm excited about 
is have they? Can they make the winning plays in crunch time against a championship caliber core? Have they progressed to that level yet? They've accelerated the rebuild. There's no denying that. Can they push fast forward even more? And I think we will see multiple moments like that in the fourth quarter. I do not foresee Memphis getting blown out. I could see the scenario that you alluded to playing out where it's, you know, they're down by two or three and then they miss a shot and they have to foul Golden State and Golden State makes their free throws and they win by seven or eight. I could see that happening. But I think that before that, Memphis will have the opportunity to either take the lead themselves or perhaps even put Golden State away. And if they take advantage of whatever level they're at is what I am most excited about watching. And I think that that will really kind of dictate what the next offseason looks like, whether it begins Saturday or in a week or two from now after a playoff series or even beyond that. Uh, but it's going to be a lot of fun watching play out. Brady Klopfer, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate you. Um, again, at Brady Klopfer NBA, he does a great job covering the Warriors for SB Nation. Highly recommend you follow him and you check out their work uh, going into Friday's playing game. Brady, thank you so much. Thanks for having me, Joe. This was a lot of fun and uh, enjoy the game. It's, it's uh, like you said, you're going to learn a lot about the team and where they are. And it's a fun, it's a fun space to be at the start of, of something kind of special happening with a team win or win or lose. It's a huge developmental game for those young players who are getting their, one of their first tastes of this. And it's, it's a fun place to be as a fan. That's exactly right. I'm looking forward to it for Brady. I'm Joe. Make sure you're sticking with grizzlybearblues.com for all your coverage heading into the play-in. Make sure you're following us on Twitter at SBN Grizzlies. Make sure you're rating, reviewing, and subscribing to the GBB Podcast Network. Our podcast here, as well as Score 4, 3, and D, uh, and Starting 5, you can follow uh, and subscribe on Google, on iHeart, on Stitcher, on Spotify, on Apple. Make sure you're checking out GBB. We have a tremendous staff over there that I'm very proud to be at the helm of. And we're going to have this play-in game covered for you every step of the way. For Brady, once again, I'm Joe. Thanks for listening. Grind forth, Grizz Nation. This has been Grizzly Bear Blues Live.